All right, we are back with the next installment of Beyond the Sunday Sermon. And back by popular demand is Colleen Rice. <laughs> no one has demanded this. Many, many people have demanded it. I think it's trending on Twitter. <laughs> on X. On X. On X. Um, so we have begun, praise the Lord, a series on Ephesians, which is very exciting. Uh, and we are going to walk through. Uh, we had the first 14 verses read, um, but uh, we're actually going to spend three weeks on those 14 verses. So uh, the sermon was just on the first six verses. Uh, blessed, <coughs> uh, all of the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ, and then what it means to be chosen in Christ were sort of the two main headings. Um, sometimes people will divvy up these first 14 verses in a trinitarian way but i don't i think that's actually kind of distracting because as we saw in this passage jesus is all over this passage christ is everywhere so it's not like four through six can be just the father um it's also the case that the persons never really interact or they never they never really do something without the other um so the father is always acting in the son by the power of the holy spirit anyway um so that's not necessarily the breakdown but we want to talk about um i think what it means to be chosen in christ and i tried to really bring out um that emphasis of always coming back to this all in christ mm-hmm. um especially this the topics that are here, especially with the word predestined, we get lost almost immediately uh, when we hear that word, and we forget that this is all happening in Christ, through Christ, uh, for his glory. Um, so, yeah, where do you guys want to start off? Have anywhere to go? <laughs> Actually, there's. A, let me say two things. One thing that I didn't get to mention in the sermon. For some reason, the ESV is usually really, really good. Um, but that phrase, the purpose of his will, um, should really read good purpose. I don't know why they, they took that word out. It's part of the same word in the Greek. Um, well pleased, even, mm. where, where the angels say it in Luke 2, the, to those who are well pleased. Um so it's not a cold purpose of his will. It's, it's his good purpose. Um, yeah, that's significant, I think. I think it is significant, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It fits also just with the whole tenor of the passage that mm-hmm. this is all about the grace that he has lavished upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I mentioned and somebody commented after the contrast that I read about in Crouch's new book, Charmed versus Blessed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we could talk some about that if you want, or I'm sure people are itching to talk about predestination. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I guess another another thing I wish I had time to get into as far as a practical aspect is this business of adoption. Mm-hmm. And the early church very clearly applied it to literal adoption where they would rescue babies who were being left out, uh, being exposed to the elements well, if they're newborns, especially if they were girls, they would be exposed to see if they were like worth taking care of, mm. which is hard to imagine. Um, and so the early church would just basically adopt them mm. and 
I think we have stats that say like that it was proportionately the the early church was proportionately more female because of that, hmm. uh, which is a great testament to the grace of God in the church, and obviously horrifying to think of a culture that would see mm-hmm. that as okay. But mm-hmm. it just shows sort of how different we see adoption now because we've been infected by the by the Christian worldview. Our whole culture has, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, Where do we want to go? Well, before we get into maybe some of the, the, the nitty-gritty things of that, that I'm sure there are questions like predestination and chosen, um, I do like how Paul begins a letter. Like, mm. as, as he's talking to the Ephesians, I mean, uh, clearly this is, a, this is a young church, young as in newly minted church. Um, and the the... He speaks to them in such a uplifting way. He doesn't talk down to them. He speaks up to them in, mm-hmm. in a sense. Mm-hmm. Where, like, like you, as you brought out in the sermon, this is one single sentence. There's no punctuation. There's no. There's no pause. It's you can almost see him just in, in a rapturous moment, and you just wonder what these people are hearing, how they were hearing it. Uh, but not only that, he still calls them Ephesians. <laughs> Like they are clearly rooted and planted in a culture, and they haven't lost that identity. But they they have this other one that is in some sense contrasted. So they are in Ephesus, but at the same time faithful in Christ Jesus. And I just think that's it's, it's helpful um, to 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 picture our Christian life as living in these two worlds. Like mm-hmm. we are clearly in New Haven, Connecticut. That's what we are, and. Many of us are coming from different cultures, but we are rooted here, and we are shaped by this culture. But at the same time, we have this other identity that we have to, in many ways, figure out, how do I live out all these blessings? How do I walk in all these blessings in this culture? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that's, that's always helped me as I've, not just reading Ephesians, but just reading every single letter that, that Paul's written. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in two worlds, um, one with all the blessings and heavenly places, but also I have a Monday job I have to go to. I have a wife I have to love. I have bills I have to pay. Um, and I have to, you know, I've, there's, when I watch Netflix, I have to be careful what I watch and what I don't watch, if watch it at all. Like, th- these, are, these are choices and questions I have to make based on this other identity that I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those identities don't necessarily conflict. Right, right. Sometimes they, they do. Sometimes <laughs> they definitely do, yeah. but they shouldn't if it's an identity that is not sinful so being right. in ephesus being in new haven is is not sinful right. right so what would it mean to be in christ in new haven right i like how the question that you pose later with predestination um but this question of is what is the text say and what isn't the text say even yeah. when it comes to blessings i think that's where this as you're talking about are the other identities, mm-hmm. quote identities, um, that. You gotta kiss the mic, Colleen. I don't know that I can get much closer. I'm getting <laughs> a lot of hand signals and knocks from the, uh, yes. Um, but yeah, that, that not only does it not conflict with, yeah, it shouldn't conflict, but, but that, yeah, we're, when Paul is talking about these blessings, I just, I did appreciate that blessed versus charmed distinction and conversation, mm-hmm. but this 
idea that spiritual blessings has everything to do with the Holy Spirit and with what what Christ has given us in the heavenly places, but then also as it applies to us now. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to dive into a deeper conversation about um, yeah that charmed verse hashtag blessed um, uh, versus actual blessed <laughs> right. um, conversation. Yeah, hmm. I mean I would I would venture to say every time someone puts hashtag blessed on something that has happened in their life, it probably means it's charmed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's an exception here or there, but. That's not really trendy anymore, by the way, but it's okay. We can I know. still talk it's about it. It's trendy to me. I'm like <laughs> catching up, you know. You got to give Just pastors you know. a chance to... We're still on MySpace, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's not hashtag blessed, it's something else where we just are... Uh, we assume that if we get some kind of material good, it's God blessing me. Mm. And that's just not biblical. Um yeah. How you see in the Old Testament and the New, if we are given what we want, that is that is often God giving us over to our sinful desires, mm-hmm. and so it could actually be a way that we are inoculating ourselves against mm-hmm. receiving real blessings. Yeah, and I think it confuses this whole idea of blessed versus charm. The charmed idea of blessed confuses the gift for for the giver and the purpose of the gift, mm. where the gift mm. becomes the thing itself. That's all God wanted to give us was that touchdown, that that victory, the the the, the promotion and the job. That's all He wanted to give us. And you brought up the Old Testament. The first place I think the first place we see at least the the Hebrew word for blessed used is when God blesses Adam and Eve. But how, why does he bless them to be fruitful and multiply? Mm. They were blessed to fulfill their God-given role. Mm. And I think that's what blessings are, are for. The blessings here are given mm. to us to fulfill the purpose of his will, um, which which is in Christ Jesus. So, Right, which it's almost self-defined even as it says blessed us in Christ. It's not that he has blessed us in life yeah, right. Mm-hmm. or right. in something else. There's, there is that significance to the many, many times he repeats in mm-hmm. Christ, by, by him, through him, with him, all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And to just remember, he's writing this from prison. And so yeah. to be able to say, not just that God is going to get him through, not just that he's going to survive, he's going to make it to heaven, whatever. He's saying, I have still been blessed with every spiritual blessing, mm. mm-hmm. which mm. is so powerful, I think. So what practically or tangibly, if we can venture to try to even speak into that, are those blessings? Mm. How can we experience them here and now in New Haven? Good question. The the blessings that are you asking the blessings that we that see Paul, in the text? That yeah, Paul that would, that Paul up? is talking about these spiritual blessings. Hmm. Maybe for any listeners who. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I, I didn't get I didn't give much in the sermon. I I wish I did, but um, I think it's experiencing the fact that you have been chosen, mm-hmm. that you have been set apart to be holy and blameless, that you have been adopted um these i think these things can be a fundamental experience rather than a specific um in this 
in this like 30 minutes because I received this gift or this feeling or whatever. Yeah, that will happen too. But I think this, this passage gets to that fundamental identity of every part of my life now I can experience as an adopted child mm. right. or every part of my life I try to remain set apart as holy. Mm. Um, mm. So I don't know. I know it's kind of a non-answer for those who want more practical stuff, but um, it just feels like it applies to everything then. And I think, so I, I, I think we can get, get, get more practical and we see it with the purpose of him choosing us before the foundation of the world yeah. is that we should, that we should be holy mm-hmm. and blameless. He doesn't choose us and then automatically make us blameless. Mm-hmm. So there, there is this process of uprooting and rooting out the sin that is embedded in us. So part of experiencing us being chosen in Christ is the conviction of sin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's repenting. It's, it's being confronted with our sin. There are things that, that hold us back from truly experiencing what it means to be a son of God. And you brought up some of those things. It's the insecurities that we have. Some of those insecurities are rooted in because we're still sinners and we, and, and we wrestle with sin and we need those things to be rooted out of us. Mm-hmm. So I think the process of becoming more holy that, and it's hard, it, it involves suffering, it involves loving, being loved in places we are afraid to be loved. It involves loving people that we're afraid to love or we don't want to love. It involves receiving love when we don't think we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Those are hard things to learn. And I think if we're going to walk in this newness of life, we're going to walk in these blessings, it it has to involve the killing and dying of sin. Mm-hmm. It has to involve that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, great. I, I think I agree that mm-hmm. even the whole being chosen is maybe the first of a long list of blessings that Paul is going to get into when you look at the whole text of 1 through 14. So we'll... Probably, I think, I imagine, continue to hear in the in the next two sermons about what what does what do those blessings in Christ look like? Mm. But yeah, I think all of the purposes for which we have been chosen, and even just the fact that in love we were chosen, mm. is a huge blessing that we can go back to. Mm. Yeah, I'm reminded of what Jesus said. I, th- I forget I forget the actual what is what story is attached to, but um, he says to the disciples those who have been loved much, love much. Mm-hmm. And I think it was attached to the story of, of, of a woman that they, did, that they saw as to be a sinner, and God loved her there. And because of that, she was actually able to exude that type of love. And I, I think there's something there that we could apply to what does it mean to walk in the blessings that God has given us. It means to experience the deep love of Christ where we are we're down in the pits and he raises us up. Mm. Um, I think, I think part of the struggle and experience in the blessings of Christ or this, these blessings that we have in Christ is we assume that we, that we just deserve them. We, we don't really appreciate where we actually were. Mm. Um, I don't know how much of that is because some of us grew up Christian or we're in a Christian culture and these things are just, they're just assumed they're, they're pretty things. But when you mm. are, when, when you don't feel loved and you know you're messed up and then you hear the message of forgiveness, mm. that there's resurrection power. And I don't think we should undermine that. Like that's an actual resurrection moment mm. for the person. It's a resurrection moment for the believer. Um, when we hear your sins are forgiven, you are deeply loved. 
think there's it's uh, yeah amen no i think that's great it's it it's something that we we read this and maybe if we've been in the christian world a little bit we take for granted ephesians 1 and that is just (laughs) incredibly tragic i think Mm -hmm. we need to read ephesians 1 and think how could this possibly Mm -hmm. be true Mm -hmm. this is this seems absolutely too good to be true Mm -hmm. Yeah. And instead, we just read it like, of course, and what else? Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, a story of a missionary in, in, I think it was East Africa, who was re- uh, ministering to a group of women who were sold into sex slavery. Mm-hmm. And they were, and, the, and, you know, no choice but to feel absolutely ashamed and in despair and totally unworthy of God and they could they had such a huge stumbling block coming to the gospel mm-hmm. and it wasn't until they started learning about election mm-hmm. and predestination that then they could see oh it's not dependent on me mm-hmm. because if it were I would have no chance even though even though their their sin wasn't so much their fault they felt totally mm-hmm. shamed mm-hmm. right uh, then they could see, oh, it's it's actually dependent on the grace hmm. of the gospel, hmm. mm-hmm. and that's what kind of unlocked mm-hmm. their ability to come to Christ, which is I find very powerful. And it's it it's just a different approach hmm. from our culture where we all sort of assume, or not all. I mean, a lot of people struggle with real shame and guilt, mm-hmm. but there's this sort of entitlement hmm. that, of course, God would accept me. Hmm. Yeah. That does remind me, you had a, a line you said about arguments against predestination are usually arguments against God's grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that was a good picture, but maybe we can even kind of flesh that out or let this launch us into <laughs> the predestination a, brief, talk. <laughs> a brief discussion about predestination. The Presbyterian's favorite doctrine, oh, right? Boy. <laughs> I do think we need a bit like a reframing of this. I, I think reformed people get this uh, askew. Mm-hmm. Um, we we yeah we just don't frame it very well. I think mm-hmm. and Ephesians one is all about God's grace in Christ, mm-hmm. and he's he's trying to exclaim that we have been chosen without any worthiness of ourselves and it's almost like he he wants to remove every possible excuse Mm. and so he's saying you have been chosen in christ before the foundation of the world so that to me is like the purpose Mm -hmm. of the doctrine um and removing excuse you mean excuses like i'm not worthy yeah right or prideful ones or probably yeah it's yeah. both yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. maybe i'm a little bit better than these people who aren't christians mm-hmm. even if it's just this one percent of i made a better choice mm-hmm. that's just not mm-hmm. and he's going to repeat it again in ephesians 2 there's nothing to boast in mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because faith is a gift mm-hmm. so the sad thing is reformed people are sort of known for their intellectual pride but real reformed doctrines should make us the most humble mm-hmm. because we are we claim to be at least the most aware of God's sovereignty and, and our inability mm-hmm. to be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
and I do think, I mean, I don't think I'm forcing this. I think it's in the text as far as the per. If you use Ephesians 1, the purpose is to show what it means to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. means you have, you can have absolute assurance of your salvation because you are chosen. Mm. And that, that choice is built on God's love. Yeah. I, I could just imagine us asking God in our, let's just say in our, our, our weakest moments where we feel our most sinful selves and we ask God, when did you begin loving me? And he would almost look at us with a confused look. Like, what do you mean when? <laughs> there never was a point that I hadn't, I haven't loved you. Mm. Um, I think that's the root of assurance is that there, I forget who said it. I did some theologians, not for me, but he said, um, um, I'm, I'm going to butcher the phrase actually, but basically what he was getting at is the reason we know that God loves us is because it never began. It never mm. began. Mm. There was never a point, a starting point where we can say, oh, it was at that point when I was this doing that or stop or I stopped doing this, he began to love me. Mm. Like I can point back to when I love my wife. I can point back to a, a wedding day, um, where something began mm-hmm. and, but with, with God, there is no point where God can say, oh, yeah, it was when you got it right. It's when you got it all fixed. I, I think it's there's no t- point in time. And you can also ask, what is the reason? Mm-hmm. Which is also comparable to, like, romantic love. Like, mm-hmm. what, if someone, if your wife asks you, Jerry, why do you love me? It could be kind of a trick question, right? It could be, you know, is she trying to say, tell me how beautiful I am or how smart I am or how mm-hmm. much I love Jesus? And it's like, well... Ultimately, you want to say, I love you because I love you. Mm-hmm. It just feels like that's who I am. It's part mm-hmm. of me. And I think that's what God would say. Mm-hmm. He loves you because yes. that's who he is, and that's the purpose of, of mm-hmm. creation, mm-hmm. to bring glory to his grace. Um, there's not some... He makes us lovable. He doesn't mm-hmm. discover in us something lovable mm-hmm. before he acts. Mm-hmm. Um and that's why I think, well, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I was looking at my Bible and thinking that the verse, the way they split up the verses is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> because if you just start at verse five, it just says he predestined us. Um, but it, if you look at the whole sentence, it kind of starts, it says in love, he predestined us. Mm. And so mm. even if this conversation of predestination makes us question God in a way, like, how could a good God arbitrarily choose? Uh, is that what he's doing? I think in some ways we can go back to the text and see, well, I don't know exactly why it is this way, but we can see that it is in love mm-hmm. that he does it. Mm-hmm. And so that can be a helpful grounding anchor mm-hmm. and then continue to ask your questions out of that place mm-hmm. rather than, out of a place of accusation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the predestined is a participle there, so it's it's going off of the main verb, which is chose, mm-hmm. up in what is it three? So it's just go. It's it's further explaining, yeah, mm-hmm. how the choosing works. Mm-hmm. I, I I think yeah. I guess we have, we have to get into it, right? I mean. <clears throat> um, he doesn't, we, we can never, I guess one thing I think that is important is we can have assurance of salvation mm-hmm. 
I don't think anybody can have assurance of condemnation. And so I actually had a very specific conversation with a college student years ago who knew, knew bits and pieces of Reformed theology but was not a believer and was just struggling in despair and depression. And he's like, well, maybe I'm just not of the elect. Mm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just not chosen. And I tried to say, you simply can't know that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no way for you to come to that conclusion. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the good news of mm. election, I think, is that you can know God's love. You can be assured of it. And you can read Ephesians 1 and think, maybe I'm a part of this crew mm-hmm. who's in Christ. There's nothing in your in someone's life that you can point to and say, see, that's proof you're not chosen. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because no one could ever be too far gone. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So you can't say, well, this person's too much in depression or too much in sin or whatever and say, well, this person clearly is not chosen. Mm-hmm. We, that is not our choice or domain or we have no right to make that claim. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to try to guard the doctrine as far as what it's supposed to do and not do. Mm-hmm. It never diminishes a zeal for evangelism. It never diminishes uh, somebody's offer of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And it never says you can conclude thus this person's not chosen. Mm-hmm. Even Hitler. Mm. I don't think we could say it. You don't know what happened between when he killed himself and you know he meets Jesus. Right. We, you just can't say. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's not to diminish his sin. It's just mm. to say it's not, who are you? Who are you to say that? You know, mm. it's not your call. Mm. And that should, I'm, that's at least personally convicting for me, even just to keep praying. Because I think there are people, it, it's more people that I might be very close to and I feel like I've been praying for for a long time. Uh, it's easy to, in our, I think it's probably Satan at work trying to tempt us. Mm-hmm. To, ima- to just start to despair of, uh, like, I, I just have no hope mm-hmm. in this person changing. Mm-hmm. That's, so it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's and I less, think you would yeah. have no hope because you're focusing on the person. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. that's true. And losing mm-hmm. sight of who God is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's encouraging me even to, to pray differently um, mm-hmm. or to begin praying again <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for, for people in my life that, that I mm-hmm. want to see big change in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 This whole predestination thing, I do appreciate how you wanted to keep our eyes focused on what this is meant to do and what it's not meant to do. Because we can get lost in the weeds and we can treat this as some philosophical conundrum that we have to untie. Um, and but I also do want to appreciate the the complications with this, and there may be some hurdles that people have when they the moment they hear the word predestination, they're understanding something about it, and they see that oh, is this impinging upon my free will? Like, do I have free will? If God chose me to choose, then my choice was it actually my choice at all? Um, we may not be certain that we can be condemned, but can we be certain that it was actually us who chose? Um, so yeah, I don't know if we, if we need to get into the weeds right there. What does it mean? Um, what's our, what is our, what does it mean to have free will? And what does it mean that God chose us? And does that impinge upon our free will? 
I mean, I, I guess I just think Scripture says yes to both. God chooses us, and we we have the responsibility to choose ourselves. Um, maybe one quick way to help us understand that is we have we have freedom that's appropriate to a human. Mm-hmm. So we don't have absolute freedom. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. You you have all sorts of effects upon you, your genetics, your culture, whatever. Mm-hmm. You make choices for hundreds of different reasons. But we do have freedom that is appropriate to being a human. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether that means we need to talk about causality, like there are secondary causes. Mm. God is the ultimate cause. Um, our confession talks about secondary causes. Uh, but again, I do think it's it's a distraction to the point that we we lose the fact of if if we hear Ephesians one and think what about me and my rights mm-hmm. we're missing the point right because the point of that is to say you have been so utterly swallowed with the love of God that your rights now should be I want to just be caught up in that mm-hmm. you know yeah and. To the person who's asking, what about my free will? I would say, keep reading Ephesians, and he'll explain to you what your will actually accomplishes on his own. And in Ephesians 2, it's, a, it's, it's death. <laughs> That's what it does. Like you, I think when we talk, when we, when we dive into these topics of, of being chosen and elected, we don't view ourselves in moral categories. We almost distance ourselves from the moral category and say, okay, I, I freely choose to do that. I freely choose to do that. But we don't see ourselves being enslaved to a particular thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the Bible has a clear way of, of describing the human will, that it's enslaved to certain passions. We are driven to do certain things morally. Um, there, there, is, there is a moral will there that we have to consider in this conversation. Um, That's why I think the way that America talks about freedom is simply unbiblical. I mean, maybe it's true in the political realm. Yes, mm-hmm. we want freedom of speech, freedom of religion, yada, yada. But if, if we just want the freedom to do what we want, mm-hmm. that is literally sin mm-hmm. and slavery. Mm-hmm. So God needs, to, God needs to free us yep. to be able to see right. sin. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, fr- freedom to do what I want is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's satanic. Mm-hmm. You know? And even in parenting i think parents learn that that giving or there's just studies i think that have shown that giving your kids freedom to do whatever they want isn't ultimately for their good it is just destructive for them then and for the long term and i think that's where even this language of adoption i mean that's not necessarily what this particular text is talking about but i think all of this helpful relationship between us and God as our heavenly father and us as his precious children. To me, it really helps see even his, just his role as a, as a loving guiding father who protects Mm -hmm. his children and wants for their good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that, that is, that helps us in that freedom conversation. He wants us to not be enslaved Mm -hmm to our own sin or to the ways of the world, tossed to and fro, whatever mm-hmm. the language might be, but wants us to be that live a, a life ab- abundant and, yeah. and experience a life abundant. Right. Yeah. And I, I think what, what you're saying, what you're, what you're saying, Craig, and what you're saying, Colleen, it's, it's, it's spot on. Um, and just to go back to something that 
that I said, maybe re- rehashing it can be helpful. Um, this doctrine is, is meant to show how deeply loved we are. Mm-hmm. And when we get, when we start talking about our free will, I think, I think we do so. And we almost have this instant, uh, amnesia <laughs> and, and we forget how the, the time, how we, we've used it, how we, how we used it, but the times we've wanted to not do something and we couldn't stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or how we've made this one choice and it was a terrible choice. Or how we've, we're living in the consequences of some bad choice we've made. Um, or we have friends who are wrestling with certain things that they can't get themselves out of. The shame. We forget things like that. Like yeah. People experience deep shame and it's hard to uplift ourselves out of it. Why do I do things I know I ought not to do? Why don't I do things that I know I ought to do? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why is that the case? So it's easy to talk about or to have some argument against predestination and or, or against or for our free will when we forget how terrible sometimes our free will actually is. Yeah, there's there's nobody in the history of the universe who has been morally neutral mm. to God. Mm-hmm. So we we assume this probably from the enlightenment that you can just step back and mm. look at issues in a neutral objective way and you can't yeah. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. you can in the in in the lab in sort of a secondary way, and you're looking at some bacteria or something. <laughs> but mm. there is no one who is morally neutral, mm. so you're not starting from that place of neutrality. Mm. But I mean, but I do. Th- I, I obviously we can appreciate the question mm-hmm. because I think I think the deeper desire is we we do want God to be just. Mm. That's good. Yeah, and we want to believe that God is just. Mm-hmm. So it seems unjust if people don't have free will. Mm. Um, so yeah, we would say, yes, God is just. Nobody is morally neutral. It seems as if Scripture is clear that there are some who are not chosen. Mm-hmm. We don't know why, and probably we should like say that and then kind of shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like... We don't know who, yeah. We don't know who, and you don't know why. Mm. And so we can't really say a whole lot more. Yeah. I think we can say this, though. And I've had um, people ask, close friends of me ask me this. And again, they were wrestling with this idea of do they have free will? And that's why they they, they don't want to believe in the doctrine. So I say two things. I say, well, you got to do something with the word in the text. Like, however you you can't discard it. It's right there. Either discard the whole Bible or you redefine the word but the other thing is you can't we none of us can say that we don't have free will um because our everyday experiences tells us that we do (laughs) now that that, that's not the best answer for a very complicated Mm -hmm. thing but what we do know experientially is that we choose to do things and we have our reasons for doing it and we know it and we make plans so our everyday experience cries out i have some sort of free will, even though it's contingent upon other things and I'm influenced by other things, there's a freedom to choose and not choose. So we have to hold that. So that's why I would never say, um, oh, predestination is true, so therefore I don't have to go out and persuade people for the gospel. Because our everyday experience cries out, oh, I, you have free will. You can choose, you can not choose. Yeah. 
And it actually gives gives me incredible boldness to actually preach mm-hmm. the gospel because I know that God will work right. in those He wants to, to work in. Mm-hmm. So if I if it was all dependent on me and the power of my persuasion, that would be horrifying, horrifying, and <laughs> and totally paralyzing. Right. Um, there's one verse, but did you want to jump in anymore? You're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, another just example of trying to not get lost and like stay to the text and stay. To what what Scripture says, um, Acts two says this is Peter preaching at Pentecost, and he says this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Hmm. So in one verse, you have the plan of God, and you have lawless men at work. So I do think whenever we talk about predestination, not just think about being in Christ, but also think about the cross Mm. and think at the cross, God was working his plan from the, from before the foundation of the world. We think this was his plan. Mm -hmm. He he is not the author of sin. And yet Mm. it was obviously horribly sinful. Mm. Right. What the, what the people literally were doing the Roman soldiers, and then all that led to it and our sin that put him there. Hmm. So scripture just puts those two things together Hmm. and doesn't entangle Hmm. much beyond that, beyond obviously saying God is not an excuse for sin. God is not the reason for sin. He didn't, he didn't commit it, Mm -hmm. but he was certainly sovereign over that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's part of the good news too, that he is, he can work the sin that you are crushed by he can end up working that mm-hmm. for your good and his glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That's mm-hmm. the Romans 8. Like, yeah. he's going to turn it. Satan thought he was winning on the cross. Yeah. And he turned it. Mm. He turned it and put Satan to shame mm. according to his plan. Mm. So, hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. God bless you, Colleen and Jerry. Yeah, God bless everyone listening. Yes. Faithful followers. See you next week. (laughs) 